enriching your life one story at a time. This is the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast with Editor-in-Chief Amy Newmark. Hey, it's Amy Newmark with your daily dose of Chicken Soup for the Soul inspiration. It's Friend Friday, and today we have a special guest. He's actually one of the most inspirational people I've ever met. So this is Scott Martin. Scott, tell us what happened to you more than 20 years ago when you woke up in the hospital after being in a coma for a month. Going back there, it's been 23 years now. And after I woke, of course, not sure what was going on because coming out of a a coma and and, uh, a medically-induced coma the last couple of weeks, I believe, um, there there was a lot of fogginess. um, And then once I realized things were going on, uh, a lot of questions. And uh, that's when uh, uh, the doctors uh, came in and started talking to me before uh, uh, they brought family in to, to uh, give me uh, some better understanding about what the situation was. Did you remember anything about what happened before you went into the coma? Um, you mean to go back to from the beginning of when I first started getting ill? Yeah, what what happened that led to that moment when you woke up in the hospital and got the bad news you're about to tell us about? Yeah, I would happen to be at a. Uh, I was invited by uh, Nike to come and speak at a uh, top clinic they had going in the Chicago area. Um, doing things like that was part of coaching at the college level to try to work my way up the ladder. And playing there in a, a coach's pickup match, I started feeling ill, and for the first time really ever. I stopped playing and just said, hey, excuse me. And there were a lot of national team players there and things. I was having a good time, a lot of other coaches from across the country. And uh, throughout the night, it was um, uh, going back and forth between uh, uh, heat, uh, fever, and chills, uh, vomiting. So when I arose the next morning, because my mother was an hour and a half away, uh, first thing I have to do is go to mom and see what she has to say. Uh, her point to me right away was, get your butt over to the hospital and go to the emergency room because she could see some things were wrong. Uh, presented myself there. Um, I mentioned to the um, uh, young ER physician that I had been uh, playing soccer, uh, possibly it was heat exhaustion. Um, unfortunately for me, he listened to me too much and uh, just gave me some IV fluids, told me to drink some Gatorade and release me. Woke up the next morning, still um, profusely ill. My mother, again, pointed me in the direction of the hospital. Uh, went there, and that's really all I remember because another physician came in and, and noted right away what the issue was um, and sent me up to uh, pass the ER right up to uh, intensive care and started fluids, I believe, uh, checked me in and um, that's when I started flipping into a coma because uh, all the organs were shutting down. So you had strep, right? But it, you had the most awful form of strep, and it ended up turning into flesh-eating disease, right? Correct. There were uh, a few different um, aspects of the illness that were attacking me, and uh, group A streptococcus was the official uh, determination, and from there became uh, necrotizing fasciitis, which is uh, basically the skin dying. 
because uh, the body at the time was so I was so ill that the body was focusing on the central core, which is the heart and the lungs. Uh, even though I was uh, totally intubated and things, they were just totally dousing me with um, as many antibiotics as they could just come up with, kept throwing things at it, and um, didn't, uh, didn't turn out as well as looking back I had hoped. Yeah, you tell me you were there in early July, which everybody says is a bad time to go to the emergency room because the new crop of doctors shows up in July and everybody has just advanced mm-hmm. one level, right? If you were a first-year resident, you've yeah. just become a second-year resident, new attendings, all of the rest of it. So it's a really bad time. So the end result, unfortunately, was that your arms were amputated and you lost a portion of each of your feet as well. That's correct. Uh, I have uh, uh, quad amputations, uh, mid-forearm amputations of the hands, and mid-forefeet with one foot totally reconstructed. Uh, at the time, the um, uh, physician, or the plastic surgeon, noted that because I was an athlete, he was hoping that things would be able to work out, so he did a drastic procedure instead of doing a BK, which is a bony amputation on the right. Uh, took muscle from my abdomen and skin from the thigh and reconstructed half a foot. It's worked out so far. Yeah, and you are back to coaching soccer again, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yeah, and I met you a couple of years ago in Las Vegas. I shook hands with you. You're Mm -hmm. really good with the prosthetics. You've really managed to put your life back together. So tell me, after you went through your rehab and everything, after this happened, what what did you do next with your life? I look back sometimes and, and think that it turns out that what could be my greatest strength is also my greatest weakness in that um, I don't quit. I just keep trying and trying and trying and, and work and work and work. And that's probably what um, took me in the direction of um, eh, not quite having a mental breakdown, but definitely going through a situation where I was depressed because I went back to work right away, and I used that as a focus to to not look at the amputations and uh, where life may have been leading me. Um, there were it was good and bad for me to get back to work right away. Uh, we ended up going on and and uh, building three more nationally top top twenty ranked teams. Um, I was nominated for Coach of the Year, and you know I just I worked. But again, uh, sometimes you can't just work. You need to be able to take some time to heal. And I didn't really do that. And then when did you meet your wife? Uh, strange circumstance. Uh, when things, when I really got to the point of uh, the greatest point of depression and went through a medical malpractice trial and lost that, I just dumped everything, sold everything that didn't fit into my car. Uh, and with my cat, we drove four days out to... Um, Olympia, Washington, and uh, took on a position to work for a gentleman at uh, college out here and um, to do it for free in exchange for him, hopefully being able to make some contact with people to to get me back on the road where I wanted to go, which was coaching at the highest level at at college. Um, And it turned out part of my rehab was for depression was to uh, get medication. I checked in with the doctor, and two days later, she called me to in the evening to uh, 
asked me how things were going. I figured that, uh, that things are a bit strange here. And she ended up asking me out for coffee. And I said, sorry, I don't drink coffee, but okay. Um, she dropped me as a patient. Five months later, we were married. Oh, that's wonderful. And when did you adopt all those children? Uh, we were married in 98, and we had the idea of, uh, we noticed that there was a need, and um, we started uh, the process of adopting uh, Nadia and uh, um, Marius from uh, Romania in the year 2000. We went to visit them six months later, as we were supposed to do, and not until over a year later, and from the help of a state senator, uh, we were able to get them home uh, just before 9-11 of 2001. And then you adopted additional children, didn't you? Yes. Ellen brought home uh, a packet of uh, uh, children from uh, one of her patients, um, worked for an orphanage here in the States, uh, that had contact in Ethiopia, and it was a need. Um, and we came up with, uh, we agreed on a little boy uh, that was a week younger than our other son. Um, we call him Andy. It's Mickeyus is his name. He witnessed both of his mother and his father dying of AIDS. So he was in an orphanage, and we went to help. Um, that process was much easier from Ethiopia. It only took us six months for Andy to come home. And more need came up a year and a half later, and Callista came home. And a few years after that, we decided that we could help a little bit more. And our fifth child, uh, Lauren, came home again from Ethiopia. So five kids. Um, I ended up leaving soccer at the time uh, because it was the most important thing to do and focus on being, becoming a full-time father. I've ra- we've raised them to the point where Nadia is starting her freshman year at college here in Bellingham at uh, Western Washington University. Um, and Callista is now a freshman at T. Home High School here. So all the kids are old enough, and we're back to uh, me be able to get back into coaching where I'm working with uh, a 15- and 6-year-old select teams, boys and girls, and um, just having a good old time getting back to my roots. I I think you must be the most inspirational soccer coach that anyone has ever met. You're a quadruple amputee. You've raised five kids and gotten them all safely into high school and into college. How how do your players view you? Do they ever talk about the fact that you're different from the other coaches? No, I think it's easier from players because um, I guess with the gray hair comes uh, the experience of being able to talk to people and just uh, proving, proving myself um, with words right away. And then once we get into work, I think they understand that I kind of know what I'm talking about because I've been around the block a few times. Uh, Sometimes it tends to be a little bit different with adults. I think it's kids end up understanding things, especially kids that I'm working with. Um, Once you get to know me a little bit, understand things a little bit more. I don't even, I don't think they even view me as being handicapped Um, before match. If I uh, go greet the other coach, they notice. Uh, And I kind of use that to my advantage because I think that they may think less of me. Um, and I'll definitely use that. Uh, so uh, I think that the, the kids have a good understanding, and we work together, so they look right past it. 
I think with disabilities or with a prosthetic arm, you just have to let them get a good look at it. And once they've really looked at it, now they're done, right? Instead of sneaking glances yeah, at it. Yeah, but you know it. what? That's, that was a big part of my problem. And I, I hope that, you know, people are coming, have been coming back from what's been going on in the Middle East that have amputations. Uh, they probably end up going through some of the same things um, about trying to refocus and adjust to a new way of life. It's not easy. I don't like looking in a mirror. I don't like to be reminded of it. Um, with the foot prosthetics, I don't wear shorts because I think that that will remind me of it. Um, and uh, I have gotten to the point where uh, I'm sitting here on a nice sunny day in uh, Washington and wearing a T-shirt. So I'm able to do that. But that took me a long time, uh, probably not until after the kids started coming home, um, where my focus was on the, the children rather than on myself, that I was actually able, I think, to heal, to get past that. And I think that it's probably a big problem for anyone that goes to a situation like this. Yeah, I know. You wrote a story for our book, Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Power of Positive, where you talked about in the early days some stupid girls, I guess high school age, <laughs> staring at you and making dumb comments and how much it hurt. Yeah. It, it did. I mean, I ran into it all the time, but I think a lot of it was me. I was very overly sensitive to things, but, you know, it's still part of the process that everyone that goes through any sort of situation has to just have to deal with sometimes it just takes time and that's what happened to me but a lot of work went into it as well well you're helping a lot of other people now children and adults and i'm really proud that we have you in the chicken soup for the soul family thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and talking about this and i think that hearing the description of your illness and how it was initially misdiagnosed will help people and maybe Someone else won't go through what you went through because of your sharing today. You're truly an inspiration, and you're a great example of the strength that we all have inside us, even if we don't believe that it's there until we need it. So, thanks, Amy. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. And thanks for listening today. I'm Amy Newmark. So the next time we get together on the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast will be Motivational Monday, and we're going to talk about a different kind of coaching, how to step up your game by stepping outside your comfort zone.